just celebrated 26 years of marriage this week, so we're thankful for that. And uh, we haven't killed each other yet, so that's another miracle. Amen. <laughs> but it is a, a, a pleasure to be back with you again this year and uh, share with you a little bit before we go into the Word. Um, you know, this has been a very, uh, you know, when you do what I do, which is travel and uh, minister the gospel, I've been in over 30 nations, um, and, you know, we're over, we're, we lost count, but we're over 1.2 million people that's been born again. We've seen over 15,000 born again this year, um, despite the lack of being able to do what we normally do, but things are kind of getting back to normal, um, and being able to travel again without having to get your nose swapped, you know, 18 times, and it's been, it's not been fun, uh, I can tell you that, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm working for the government, I got so many papers with me, when I travel, I got to show proof of this, proof of that, and do all these things online, so it's been very difficult, but um, we're, we're thankful that it's starting to open up around the world again, and we were in Kenya, uh, this past February, um, and for those of you who have been to this church for a long time, uh, you'll know what happened to me the last time I went to Kenya four years ago was I, I got malaria there and almost died. And um, so it was uh, a bit of a difficult journey just getting back to start traveling, and then COVID came, of course, and then um, now we finally start making people to get out again and to go. So it's been great. So we were in Kenya earlier this year, then I was in Bulgaria today, and then I just got back from Ghana a couple weeks ago. And uh, when we go, you know, we're training pastors and leaders and holding evangelistic crusades. And, you know, it's, it's always, always awesome. It doesn't really matter how many people are there. I mean, obviously, the more the better. But to just watch people give their life to Christ and to watch the transformation in their lives and to see the excitement in a town or a community when we were there and see what all God is doing, it's just an amazing thing to witness. And, you know, there was... When you read the book of Acts, when uh, they went to Samaria, Philip was there and said there was great joy in that city. And we've seen that over and over and over for the past 25 years, going to areas. And there's just such joy that happens when people are, are God is changing lives and doing what he does. And so it's been amazing. Uh, and we're thankful that we can start doing that again. I'm not very good on doing Zoom stuff. I'm an in-person person. Bob says, lay hands on the sick. I can't do that through the internet. Now, there's no distance in the spirit. We know that. We pray for people online. We have online services that every church does now. Um, but it's not the same with being right there with them and seeing their faces and just being able to be a part of people's lives. And we're planning one more trip for this year. We've got uh, several crusades planned for next year already. I'm going to be back in Africa twice, what it looks like. And, your giving makes all the world a difference. I've spent $40,000 this year alone preaching. That's, that's me. I don't, they don't pay us to come. We pay for them to go. And that's how it works in these countries. But I've spent over $40,000 just this year in free trips. Um, but when you're talking about 15,000 people coming to the kingdom, uh, it is, it's, it's very small. When you figure uh, for a dollar, at one point in time, we, were, we had it down to about 50 cents. To keep somebody from going to hell, I thought that was pretty real good. But inflation now has changed, so it costs a couple dollars. But still, when you think about that, uh, to keep people from going to hell and to hear about the love of God, it's it's, a, it's money well worth spending. And so we thank you for being a part of that. And so we're going to go ahead and go into the Word this morning. And uh, I want to start in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, this is something that the Lord began to, to really stir in my heart. Um, months ago 
you know, coming into the summer and getting ready to go back to Africa um, just a few weeks ago when we had our church's annual camp meeting and God started stirring some things in my spirit and kind of reminding me of some things. You know, I've been doing this a long time and I've uh, been in a lot of places, I've, you know, suffered in my own physical body. Um, I've been trying to be, you know, was threatened to be arrested several times uh, while preaching the gospel in other countries. And we've just had things that, you know, that you wouldn't even imagine if I could stay here and tell these stories all morning long. But it's the fire to remind myself, and I want to remind you or challenge you today, that there is something called the sin. And the sin is not just for me. It's for each and every one of you. God has called you. He will send you to someone. And that is something that we need to remind ourselves today. That who are we called to? What am I called to do? Where, where is God sending me? Because at the end of the, the, time, end of time, what happens is you're going to be judged. And you're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to judge you of what you are called to do on this earth. Not all of us are called to do the same thing. Not all of us are called to stand up here with a microphone and preach. Not all of us are called to get on airplanes and travel. Not all of us are called to do these things. But we are called to do something. In Isaiah 6, in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live pole, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Now this is a man who is the national prophet. He is a, actually a relative of the king. It says, You're the king beside God. He is prophesying, speaking on behalf of God to an entire nation. And for five chapters, we see Isaiah's ministry. But something happened that changed his ministry. And not only did it change his ministry, it opened his ears. Now, the prophet hears what heaven says and then declares it to the people. But his ears were not open to a certain conversation. And I believe that conversation still echoes throughout eternity. And that conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is this. Who can we find that will represent who we are? <coughs> who will go on our behalf? You see, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Paul said that we are ambassadors. An ambassador is a sentinel. They are sent on behalf of someone else. And when they, the ambassador goes for the ambassador of the United States, whenever he goes, wherever he's at in the world, that they, they have been sent, he operates on behalf of the U.S. government. He operates on behalf of the president. You and I operate on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. We operate on behalf of our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That, is, that is who we are. And so, but Isaiah had not heard this conversation. He somehow, he, everything he hears from God, everything he's been saying to people, he's 
who shall we send for us? You see, the thing that changed Isaiah's life that day was he had an encounter with the God that he's been preaching about. And there's a lot of Christians today who go to church every Sunday, and they can tell you message after message after message, sermon after sermon they've heard. They've been in, in, grew up in, in children's church and Sunday school, and you, people, people, there's people today in pulpits that preaching the gospel, but they're like Isaiah. They've not had the encounter with Jesus that changes their ministry so they can operate on the kingdom's behalf. You see, it's not enough for us to stand up here and teach you something from the word of God. My job is to operate on the kingdom's behalf for you. That's my assignment. And today I'm assigned here in St. Stephen's to challenge you and tell you that there is a sin that heaven is waiting for you to fulfill. It's something that God has ordained from the beginning of time for your life. I believe that there's no accidents. I don't care if your mother and father planned you, God planned you. And he not only planned you, he assigned you to the earth for such a time as this. And he's given you that assignment for you to fulfill on behalf of the kingdom to touch and to change somebody's life. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, it says this. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things. See, that preacher is not just the person that stands behind the pulpit on Sunday mornings. That preacher is you. Because every day you are sent to somebody. You can preach in Walmart. You can preach at the grocery store. You can preach at your job. You can preach at your school. I'm not talking about standing up here with the Bible and preaching. I'm talking about good tidings, good news. That's what, the, that's what the gospel really is. It's good news. What's good news to somebody who's sick? Jesus heals. What's somebody, good news to somebody who's bound by drugs? Jesus sets free. What's good news to somebody who's lost a loved one? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. See, there's good news in Jesus over every situation that you may encounter on a daily basis. But how many of us are ambassadors? And how many of us pass that opportunity by every day? You know, what I find amazing, and I don't say this braggingly on me, God told me years ago, I remember I was jogging one morning, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I want you to win a million people. And I said, Lord, you think, you think St. Stephen's is small? Come to Lubico. We got a post office. That's a home home. All right? That's all we have. I said, God, nobody knows how am I going to win a million people? How? I had no partners. We didn't have churches supporting us. I said, God, what, what, how am I supposed to win a million people? And I remember that night, like it was yesterday, standing on that platform in India and watching all those tens of thousands of people raise their hand to get more again, knowing that we had surpassed in person, not, not the television broadcast that we've done, not the internet stream services, all those things. Heaven only knows, but knowing that in person, I had just passed watching, personally have led one million people to the Lord. But that's not where it started for me. It started for me when I was a young kid going out soul winning with some of their youth leaders from our church. Knocking on doors. That was back when folks used to let you in. You know. They didn't hide behind couches. And, you know, turn all the lights off. Shh. Crazy church people were outside. 
they were, you know, you can knock on the door and they, how you doing this morning? Good morning. And, and can we just, we want to share with you about Jesus and pray with you. Walk up to people in the street, going out to the parks and so many. That's where it started for me when I was a kid. My, my ministry, my missions started when I was eight years old. I remember the first time we had a missionary at our church one Sunday from Haiti. And they were taking up an offering for him. And I'd ask my dad, I said, you know, that was back then. I don't know if some of you were old enough to remember. But when you had a savings account, you had like a little savings card. You know, and it would, you could write down your deposit and withdraw your balance with a little card. And I'd ask my dad, I said, do I have money in my account? He said, yeah. He said, I think about $100. And I said, can I give it to that missionary? And he said, absolutely, you can do that. That was where my journey really started was me. So in that $100 as an eight-year-old boy into a missionary in Haiti, little did I know that I was sowing into my future. Little did I know that I was planting a seed that would begin to grow and nurture and begin to bear fruit some almost 50 years later. This is where it started for me. It didn't start preaching in front of 10,000 or 20,000 or 40,000 people. It started when I was eight. Sowing a seed. Here Paul says, how will they hear without somebody telling them? And how will they go lest they be what? Sin. Your money that you give to missionaries, sins. Your prayer that you pray over them, sins. And that's great. But don't let that be an excuse for you to stay. Because you and I, each and every one of us, have a mission field. I remember years ago when I was one of the first few times I was here at Pastor Sump was alive. Pastor Robbie, I don't even know if he had an idea about ever being a pastor at that point in time. He came up to me out here in the lobby and he said to me, he said, God's called you your mission field in India and the Philippines and Africa. And he said, this is what I remember him. God reminded me of this, this week. He said, my mission field is St. Stephen's. That's what he told me. See, I'm, I am so glad that you have a pastor that even then knew where he was supposed to be. He didn't say, man, I wish I could go. I've, had, I've gone to churches. Oh, I'd love to go on one of these trips with you. I'd love to go. They never will go. They're not willing to pay the price. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about spiritually. They don't want to pay the price. It, it sounds well and good. But to know this is my mission field. You see, you have a mission field in this town, in Monk's Corner, where Charles, wherever you are at, wherever you work at, every day you have, you're in a mission field. But the problem is that most Christians are so busy today. They're so busy with their lives that like Isaiah, they go to church, they do the right stuff, but they're deaf to the conversation that is happening all the time in heaven. Who shall we send for us? You see, the sin is something that is required, I believe, for every believer. When we see when Jesus sent out his disciples in Luke 9 and then the 70 in Luke 10, we see that he gathers them together. And in both these, these, these things, you can, you can write it down and you can go back and read it later. We won't for the second time. Luke 9, 1 through 6, and then Luke 10, 1 through 4. He sends them out. But in the sin, he puts the stipulations. He said, don't, don't go to a place where you're not welcome. Don't carry extra this. Don't do this. He gives the stipulations. The problem is we want to put the stipulations on what God called us to do. And that's not how it works. You see, I remember 
probably the late 90s. I was in Jamaica. It was my first time preaching in Jamaica. I was at a, where become a, a great friend of ours uh, now at his church right outside of Montego Bay. And it was the first Sunday morning. And I remember I had preached, and God was just moving all over the place. People were just, the Spirit of God was touching lives. And I remember I was standing on this side of the platform, and I was just watching as a young minister. I was just watching God just, God do stuff. I mean, the whole church was packed. There were people all over the place, all over the floor. I mean, people out of the power of God was moving, ministering to people. I remember just standing in amazement, watching God move. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said to me. He said, are you willing to give your life for me and the gospel? Okay, this is clearly. And I can say this without hesitation. I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Not knowing what I would face over the next 20-something years. Not knowing what I would go through, not knowing what I would, I would have, all that I almost died four years ago because I contracted malaria while I was in Kenya. Not knowing that I would have to go through months and months of recovery and amputated surgeries and still to this day, four years later, still have difficulties. Not knowing my life would be forever changed. Not knowing that I would have the police come to my hotel. Not knowing that I would be trying to be thrown in jail. Not knowing that people would have attacked our meetings before with violence. But I knew that was what the Lord was requiring of me. See, he's not requiring it of everybody. God's not asking everybody in this room, are you willing to give your life? But if he asked you that, what would be your answer? Would you have to say, well, you know, God, I, I, you know, we've got this, and God, you know, you know, I, I've got, I need to spend more time with my kids, they're little, or I need to do this, or I need to, I, I'll do it later. What happens if there's not a later, and you stand before Jesus, he said, why did you do what I asked you to do? Because you say, well, God, you know, I, I was on the deacon board. Well, God, I, I gave a dollar every Sunday. God, I, 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 I almost had perfect attendance last year. If he's called you to do something, that and only that is what you'll be judged according to. Not all your other good stuff. The Bible says that all those works of wood, hay, and stone will be burned up before the fire. Only that what he's called to do. I know this is, this is kind of serious. Yes, it's very serious. Because people's lives are depending on your benefits. You know, I could very, very easily, if I was to have said three years ago, you know what, maybe I'll let somebody else go now. You know, I'm I did what God asked me to do. I, I'd seen too many people born again. I, you know, my health won't allow me to travel and do what I, No one, I don't know if any person that I know personally would have judged me. They would have said, you know what? You've done enough. Maybe it's time for you to stay home. Maybe you shouldn't go. Maybe you shouldn't travel. Maybe, you know, you just stay and minister here. See what would have been fine with me, with my family, with everybody else. The only person that wouldn't have been fine with is him. Because he didn't tell me to stop. Even when we had to make decisions in the last year for so we could travel. And here I'm up here talking about vaccines and masks and COVID. I, you do whatever you want to do. I've always said this for two years. You do you, I'll do me. I'm not going to judge you. I don't care what you want to do. You won't wear a, a hefty bag over your head. You can wear it. You know? But I had to make a decision on whether I was going to get vaccinated. I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't believe them. I wasn't scared of COVID. 
But I had to make a decision that if, if I'm going to go preach the gospel, I have to get vaccinated. And my wife and I prayed. And we said, we're both at peace. Because see, in Mark 16, when Jesus is sending them again before he's ascended into heaven, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he said, these signs will follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Since if they take up any kind of serpents or take in anything deadly, you won't harm them. And I said, Lord, your word says, if I'm doing this to go preach the gospel, that vaccine will not harm me. And we did what we needed to do because I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I can't say, well, you know, God, you know, I, I, I didn't believe in that vaccine. I believe they were trying to put something in our bodies. I did all this stuff. And God said, did I tell you not to go? See, the sin requires that we make very, very difficult decisions at times. But see, I believe, just like in Acts, we read in the book of Acts, in Acts 9, that many of the disciples didn't want Paul. That time his name was Saul. They didn't want him being a part because they were afraid. They were afraid because they knew he was involved in killing and persecuting Christians. And yes, they heard that he had been converted. But Barnabas went to him and said, he is He's encountered Jesus. See, Barnabas was trying to tell him, listen, he's a different man. Why is he a different man? He had an encounter. You see, just like Isaiah had that encounter with God, so did Paul. He had an encounter, and it changed his life, and he was serving God. And it says they, they brought him in, and then in Acts 13, the Bible says that they laid hands on him and Barnabas, and they sent them. Why? Because they saw the passion do what God had called them to do. They saw that in Paul. They saw that in Barnabas. And they said, we can send these guys because they're passionate about what God is passionate about. Are you passionate today about what God is passionate about? Are you passionate about the things that you are passionate about? I know with so many people over the years, over school, traveling for, and doing this, we started our ministry almost 25 years ago, and Although all these years, I can tell you, I've had people after people after people, we want to serve in the ministry, we want to travel, and I've had people go on trips, and, and had, they had encounters with God, and they, they, they were serving in the ministry, they were traveling and helping and assisting us, and then they got busy, you know, travel ball, or vacations, or this, or that, and the other, and all of a sudden, they weren't so interested in serving God and going on mission trips anymore, well, we don't have time, or we don't have the money, and all of a sudden, they stopped coming to church so much. Then they stopped coming to church, period. And these were people just a few years ago that were on airplanes with me, that were in Africa and in Asia and all around the world over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And some of them today are not even in church this morning. Why? Because one encounter with God does not carry you the rest of your life. It has to be a daily thing. And I can tell you as somebody who's been in ministry and has helped me to run not only our, my, my, our, running our ministry, but helping to run my father's ministry and church and Christian school and traveling and being a parent and a husband. I know firsthand what being busy is about. And also know firsthand is that business can get you out of being passionate because you start spending so much time doing for God that you're not spending any time with God. And that's the problem. 
Every pastor, every pastor that's standing up preaching this morning, every minister who's ministering this morning, they're either going to be ministering out of passion and presence, or they're going to be ministering out of knowledge. I want to keep ministering out of passion and presence, not just the knowledge that I have. I can talk to you about the Bible all day long. I've never been to Bible school, I'm not a scholar, but I know a lot about the Word. We can talk all day long about doctrines and theologies and all that stuff, and at the end of the day, it hasn't changed somebody's life. You see, to me, what this is all about is me changing somebody's life. Me touching somebody's life with the love of God. And if I'm not living it, I can't give it. You see, every time I stand up in front of those people of these crusades and I preach about Jesus and I preach about what he's done for our lives, that has to be real to me. I can't just be giving them information. It has to be real because when it's real and they can sense it and they can feel it, they want it. See, that's what you can do every day of your life. Every time you're at a store, as the Lord leads you, or you're at work, or you're at, the, 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 at Thanksgiving with the, the one family member that nobody wants to have in their house, but you have to because it's, you know, Thanksgiving. Maybe God's sending you to that person. Maybe that is your destiny. See, for me, it was over a million souls. But for you, it might be one. I remember... I heard a story Kevin Copeland told some years back, and I remember hearing it, and I've never forgotten it. He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, go to Israel. He said, Lord, I'm going to Israel. He said, just go. He gets to Israel. He said, Lord, what do I do? The Lord led him to a park in the city. He sat down. A young woman came and sat next to him, and he started sharing the gospel with her, and she got born again. She gave her life to Jesus. He said, now, Lord, what am I here for? He said, that was it. You go on. But all the way there through all the way to Israel for one person. You see, Jesus left the 99 for the one. Why? Because the one is important to God. When I think about the sacrifice of the cross, and I think about the love of God, every time I preach about the cross, and I, and I share this with people. I begin to understand anew every time about his love for you. That he would, that God would allow his son to not only go through what he went through, but the not just the pain, the agony. Can you, can you even imagine, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that's probably the most realistic thing I could ever watch or say, hey, that's the closest thing that you can actually visualize. But what you can't see in that movie is the separation that Jesus experienced. Because on that day when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the earth itself revolted. The earth itself, creation. Because remember, Jesus is the word. And everything was created by the word. And when creation was created by Jesus, the word, when they saw him becoming sin. So he said, well, Jesus took my sin. No, he didn't take your sin. He became sin. And at that moment, the father turned his back on the son. And for all of eternity, we don't know how long eternity is. Our minds can't even fathom. But they had never been separated ever until that moment. And for the first time, Jesus was alone. For the first time in all of eternity, the Son of God had 
from sin and was separated from the Father. But it's that moment, and this is why I truly believe because of Hebrews, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. And I believe that very moment, when creation itself was revolting, the earth quaked, the sky grew dark, it thundered lightning. Everybody, even when the soul truly this is the Son of God, they realized what was happening. And it's that moment that Jesus was alone. And in that darkness and in that moment, I believe he can look through eternity. And he saw you and he saw me. We are the joy that was set before him. We are the reward of his suffering. And friends, Jesus didn't do that so you could just go to church and be a nice Christian. He did that so that you could have a part in the kingdom. Your part of the kingdom is going where he has sent me to be. But if you don't hear it, you won't know it. And the only way to hear it is to be with Jesus. Be with the Father. Have time with him. And you'll begin to hear things from heaven that you've never heard before. Just like Isaiah that day. All those years of ministry, all those years of prophesying, he never heard that conversation. And the moment he heard it, he couldn't say no to it. And I'm telling you, there's a place that you can get to in your Christianity when you hear heaven calling for someone. And you say, Lord, here I am. You see, all those people that we've seen born again over the years, every, every single one of them, I believe I was sent because somebody prayed. Somebody prayed and said, Lord, send somebody. Lord, we, we need to send somebody. All those pastors that I've taught, ministers that I've taught, all these years, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, I believe they were praying in their hut, their village, wherever it was. They said, Lord, send somebody to teach us. We want to know. I've been in countries. I was the first time I was in Thailand. And pastors walked. Two days, two days with the clothes on their back, a notebook, and a pen. And that's all they had. And they walked for two days to come and to be taught the word. And I would, as long as I would teach, they would sit and they would listen. If I got tired, they weren't tired. And when I found out how long they had walked, I said, How can I stop teaching? When I've been in places where I've seen people persecuted, churches being burned down because I was coming in crusades, pastors being beaten, some even killed. How can I be selfish and say, that's too dangerous, I'm not going to go. See, my sin is different than yours. And I will be judged on what God has called me to do. But you also will be judged on what he's called you to do. So the question this morning, I want you to ask yourself, because we're going to pray up. And I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to go and do whatever he calls me to do? If it's to the neighbor next door, if it's to buy somebody's groceries at the grocery store, if it's to be an example, just a light at your workplace, whatever it is, that's all God's asking you to do. He's not asking you to do what I'm called to do. But he is asking for you to do what he's called you to do. Can we close our eyes for a moment?
Father, we thank you today. Lord, I cannot put into words how grateful I am for you giving me life. <coughs> and enduring this life, you give me chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. When I messed up, when I failed, when I wasn't living for you, even when I get upset and angry about things I shouldn't, get frustrated with people. You never get frustrated with me. When I am imperfect, you are still perfect. And so today, Lord, I say to you once again, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me life. Give me another opportunity in this life. Thank you. 